All right. Good morning. Good to have you again. Thank you so much for that special. That was pretty incredible, if you ask me. And, uh, you know, since we're starting a family series, it was kind of cool uh, that Rick and Robin, you know, sang together like couples. You know, They were married, by the way, in case you, to each other. It's okay they held hands, is what I'm trying to say. It's really, really okay. I want to make sure. Of course, we all know that Rick's really name is Rock. Because in the wedding ceremony that I put them together with, I, instead of saying, do you, Rick? I said, do you, Rock, accidentally. So we really know that he is Rock. Hey, today we are starting a family series called The Family Game. And each week, what we're going to do is we're going to take a different game, a board game, and we're going to talk about what the Bible says about what that particular game represents. And we've got something. First off, today is the game of life, and we'll talk about all about that. And it's so cool because, again, what they just sang, God has a, a, different, a better plan. And God has a bigger and better plan for life. So that's the first one. And then next week, we're going to talk about the game of risk, okay? And by the way, the series over here, the, I represent here. And on the last Sunday of the month, on June 30th, we're giving all these games away. You want to be here, all right? Now, this is the game of risk, and it talks about a husband and wife relationships. A pretty risky business. And what was cool is, is that this is a 1959 first edition reproduction. And, and she said, have you ever played this game? Lee, I bought it from you. Have you ever played this game? I said, no, I haven't. She said, it's about world conquest. And I said, how appropriate for husband and wife relationships. Very good. Then down here on this corner, we had the game of Uno. How many of y'all ever played Uno before? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's really wild because, you know, you think you're going to go out and then somebody slams you with a, a draw four or something. And that's on Father's Day. And we're going to talk about the singleness of heart. And boy, do we have a special, special thing on Father's Day. Mark your calendars right now. Uh, Jeremy Bennett is going to be speaking to us that day, and we are very excited about that. God's done a tremendous work in his life over the last 15, 16 months. And he's going to be sharing. Yes, I'll be here. Not going again. I'll be here. But God's going to use him in a very tremendous way. So that's going to be Uno, uh, the seals of heart. Then we have shoots and ladders right down here. Shoots and ladders. And that's on parenting about Mom and dad and child relationships and what, what God's word has to say, say about that. Then we're going to end up finally in Psalm 27 back in the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about trouble over here. Trouble. And we're really basically the message is this. This is what God says and what are the consequences when we don't do that. So mark your counters. I know vacation and, and centrifuge and all that's going on. But if you're in town, I really believe that God's word is going to speak really loudly to us about our lives and our families. So mark your calendars for the next five weeks as we do the family game. Now, back to today being the game of life. And I've never, again, would you believe, I don't think I've ever played but like two of these games in the entire time. But now, here, now, every game has an objective. And here's the objective of the game of life. And if you look there, Ronnie, here's what it says. Yeah, it's pretty full there. Let me read it to you. The game of life is just what its name implies. A board game that takes players through the many life stages of working and having a family. The game itself has a long list of rules. And isn't that the truth about life? A long list of rules, but they can be easy to grasp. The, here it is. The ultimate objective, objective is to retire from the game as the player with the most money and cash and other achievements depicted on the life titles. So according to this game, the, the purpose of the game, the objective of the game is to be the person to retire first with the most money and the most achievements. Now, isn't that crazy? 
Isn't that how really the world looks at life? That, that we're to end our lives, uh, come to the end of our lives, and A, have the most toys and the most money, and secondly, to have people go, he was this and he was this and he was this and he was this. You know, I know you know who this is. I don't know the guy's last name, and I don't know who he is, okay? It's just a statement about it. But if you pull into Sunset Lawn, there's a big mon- monumentalism, uh, a grave above ground. And, and it says right there on the front, and you all know who this is. I don't know who it is. Uh, I did it my way. You know? Wow. I'm not sure, I'm not sure that's really what I want to come to uh, in my life. If I want to end my life going, I did it my way. But that's, that's how the world thinks. That we do it our way, and, and our way is to amass all that we can physically and to achieve titles and all that portion of fame. But you know, God has a total different plan, going back to the song that Robin and Rock sang. God has a total different plan for us, and it's a total different focus, and that's what we want to talk about today. Now, it's best described in a scripture, Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. And Brent, I know you like this scripture a lot. In Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8, it says this. Mankind, he has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. To act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what God says. When when it comes down, if you want to come to the end of of life and have few regrets, we're going to be a people that, that we do or act justly. We love faithfulness. And walk humbly with our God. How does that happen? I mean, that's that's nice religious talk. But how does that work out in our lives? Well, it starts with who who owns you or who do you worship? Who owns you and who who do you worship? Now, now one of the favorite verses I have is John 10.10. It's an incredible verse. This is on your sermon sheet. If you have one of those out of your bulletin, it says this. The the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they, us, may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. For emphasis, let me read that again. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, let's break that down, okay? It's, it, we better go with the first part or the second part because we know what that means. I have come. Who's the I? It's God. It's Jesus. Jesus speaking. Jesus speaking to the people. He's talking about, I'm the good shepherd, all of this. And when he says the word I, we know, in fact, that it was him who's speaking, that I've come that they may have it and have life more abundantly. And the word abundantly there in the Greek means this. To have more than was expected or anticipated. Jesus said, I'm I'm coming that you can only have life. But when you get to be as old as 75, 78, and you're kind of looking down the road, and you realize there's a whole lot more days behind you than are in front of you, perhaps you're, you're reviewing your life knowing you only have a few more days to live, to be able to say, you know what? My life was fuller. My life was far more than I expected or anticipated. Judy and I do that frequently. And we're not, the, we're not 70-something years old yet, but, but you know, we look and we go, whoever dreamed that a, a Florida cracker and a Georgia peach would have had the opportunity to serve God in, in three great churches? Who, who would have dreamed we'd had the opportunity 
to be in like 18 or 19 countries. I mean, none of my family's even come close to that. I told someone while I was on vacation, my, my brother-in-law who's a pastor, I said, Carlton and I know this, that a guy like me has no business pastoring a church like Dorisville. Guys would cut their arms off to be able to pastor a church like Dorisville. And I'm wise enough to know this. I'm here for one reason. And by the way, someone said, you didn't go look at another church, did you? <laughs> no, I tell you this. I'm going to be here till God tells me to go or you tell me to go. Okay? But, but no, that's not true. But, but I told him, I said, guys would give their arms, their right arm, to pastor a church like Dorisville. I mean, I know that I'm married up. I know that. And simply the wonderful grace of God. That's all it is. And, and you want to kind of come to the end of life and going, yeah, yeah. It's fuller. It's fuller. It's more than I ever could expect or anticipate. And Jesus said, that's the reason I've come. And that's good news to you. If you're, a, if you're a Jesus follower, a Christ follower, that should really pump you up. That God's desire for you is for you to have a life that's fuller than you can imagine and much more than you ever can anticipate or expect. Wow, how cool is that? But now, we go back to the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, because, let me tell you what I think. To me, hands down, no question, the thief is the devil. The devil, Satan. And he's on a path to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now, he puts on a good front. He'll make his game plan look so good. But he's come to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I know some of you, because I know people, and I know society today, they wrestle with the idea of a personal and real devil. So we'll do it this way. That thief, it could be one of several things in your life. That Satan, that devil, might be using. And it could be so good. Did you know religion? If, if, you, if you find yourself more in love with religion than you do God, that it can become a thief that steals, kills, and destroys? Did you know your job, your company, can be that thief? It demands, it just sucks you dry. Just sucks you out. And it can steal, kill, and destroy. Some of you, did you know hobbies? I mean, you know, deer hunting, turkey hunting, golf, fishing, whatever it is. You know, those are all great things. They're really good things. But did you know if those things become some kind of a God to you, they can suck you dry, leaving you no time or energy for anything else? So the thief can be many, many things. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. Because, you know, the Bible says Paul wrote that even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And Satan can sneak into our lives looking mighty attractive. And he comes to steal away. He comes to kill away. And ultimately to destroy. Some of you lost marriages because of the thief. Some of you have lost children to the world because of the thief. It's a real dangerous thing. So, so Jesus says it comes down to a choice. Who owns you? Who do you worship? Who owns you? If you're outside of God's grace today, and by that I mean this, not, not that you're not a good person, not that you're not a moral person, not that you're not a religious person, but if you've never come to that point in your life when you said, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, I believe you died on the Roman cross, much like that one, and I believe that if I ask you to, you'll forgive my sins, put me in a relationship with your Father, and give me a new way and purpose to live. If you've never come there, Satan owns you. I know it's hard. 
It's hard. Well, I don't even believe in Satan. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, he's real. And he owns you. But Jesus Christ can set you free. Jesus Christ can set you free. Religion can. Being moral can. Keeping the rules can. But Jesus Christ can set you free today. And then even after, once you know Jesus, you've got to be careful. Because you find yourself worshiping the wrong thing. Again, pastors have to be careful. We start worshiping our position instead of the God who gave us the position. You've got to be careful. If, if God gives you a place of prestige and you have a really impressive title in front or in back of your name, if doctor's there or president or supervisor or shift leader, you've got to be careful of those things. Because we start worshiping those things. So, so it all starts with who owns you and who do you worship? And then, that's in John 10.10, 10, and then we move where we're going to stay really the whole month in the book of Ephesians and chapter 5. Now, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, here's what Paul writes. He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, see then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. So, so Paul says, as you journey through life, as you walk through life, as you take your path through life, walk carefully. Now... As you know, about six weeks ago, we were in Uganda. And, and for the first time, we got to do some fun stuff, you know. Usually go to the mission field and, and you eat bad food and you, you're just hot and you don't get a bath. And it's just not, you know, not a lot there. Well, we got to do some fun stuff. And one of the things we got to do toward the end of the trip was we went to a rhino sanctuary. Um, Uganda used to have a bunch of, of rhinos and they got killed off. And so they're trying to reintroduce them to the population. So there's a huge sanctuary and it's got like 17 Wild rhinos. They're not tame. They're wild. But you can go out there. They're kind of a little bit used to people. And you can go out there. So they're telling us, you know, be careful where you step and all this. And the reason they're saying walk carefully was three things. One is be careful of snakes. Now, when we were in Mali and Niger, no problem with snakes. In Uganda, they have snakes. And, like, they all bite you. And then you die. So, so the guide said be very careful of snakes. The second thing you've got to be careful of is rhino poop. Be careful where you walk. Are rhinos small or large? Very, what do you think? Well, you can take and use your mind. So be careful where you walk. And the third thing be careful of is rhinos. They have this really big horn, you know, and it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. So, so the guide said you've got to be careful how you walk. Paul says the exact same thing to us. He says be careful how you walk. In fact, he says do not walk as fools but as wise. Now, I've asked Ronnie to put two scriptures on the same slide for us because it describes that. Do not walk as fools but wise. Ronnie, can we get that up there? The first one is Psalm 14. Oh, we're not going to be a hard read. In Psalm 14, 1. Listen to this. I've used this. I love this scripture. The fool says in his heart, God does not exist. So when Paul says, do not walk as fools, he says, don't act like a person who says, God does not exist. Now, a very small portion of the population is atheist. Very small. Four or five percent of the American population truly do not believe in God. At least they say they do not believe in God. That number is growing. Okay? More scary, and a larger portion of that is, it's people who say, I believe in God, but they live as if God does not exist. So a foolish person is one who either says, I don't believe in God, 
or I do believe in God, but he's not a significant part of my life, and therefore I live as if he does not exist. In other words, all my decisions, all my life views, all my worldviews are how I see it. I do family the way I see it. I'm the kind of parent the way I see it. I, I'm a husband the way I see it. I'm a wife the way I see it. I'm an employee. I'm a student the way I see it. I call the shots. And Paul just simply says this. That's pretty foolish. It's pretty foolish. Again, you may be able to die one day and have a mausoleum. Hey, I got it out. Mausoleum that says, I did it my way. That's not necessarily a good thing. A lot of people have done it their way, and the consequences are hugely disastrous. So be careful of that. So he says, walk carefully. Be careful how you step. Be careful where you step. Not as fools who say, God does not exist. I either don't believe it or I act like I don't believe it. But being as wise. And look at Proverbs 1, 7. The fear. Now, don't go. Oh, okay. The fear. The reverence for God. The reverence for God is the beginning of knowledge. Or better translated, the beginning of wisdom. So we have two choices again, don't we? You know, who owns us, who we worship, but how we live here. We can walk as fools, okay, and either deny the existence of God, which, by the way, takes a lot more faith than believing in God. Or we could say that we don't, you know, we live as if God doesn't exist. In other words, we call our own shots. Or we can fear God. We can reverence God. We can say, hey, God, you are so much smarter than me. Would you mind telling me what you think? How different, just, just, how different might your life have been if someone smarter than you had helped you make life choices? Can I say it again? How might your life have been better if someone smarter than you had helped you make those life choices? How many divorces wouldn't have happened? <laughs> how many marriages wouldn't have happened? <laughs> you know, your mama said, I told you not to marry him. And you look at me, I know, Mom. How many careers would have been different? Did, did you know that if you devote your life to your company, they're going to send you a really nice bouquet at your funeral? But don't expect them to stand up and mourn for you. When you die and leave that hole in your office, some will be there within two weeks. To take your place. Be careful. Don't, don't, be, don't live foolishly. Live wisely. And then he says this. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Making the best use of time. Now I bet you're wise enough to know something. Not all of us have the same amount of money. Agree? I mean, the circumstances... Through the family we were born into, through hard work, through thriftiness, some have a lot of money and some don't have very much money. Now, I bet you're wise enough to know this. Not all families are the same. Some of you have a very caring wife or, or loving husband. And some of you say, it was a decision that's rough for me. Our marriage is like this. Some of you, some of you have perfect children. They didn't even require braces. I mean, they, they were born into the world with the most perfect set of choppers you ever saw. I mean, that child came out, the doctor held them up and said, look at those teeth. It's just an amazing thing. They never give you a menstrual. And some families, 
The kids are... Matter of fact, if you have more than one child, hang on. If your first kid is perfect, watch out for number two or number three. It all evens out. All right? All evens out. So, so here we are, okay? You know, we come that way, all right? Not all circumstances are the same. Some of you just have me at the right place at the right time when a certain manager was at work and you got a promotion that you really didn't deserve. And some of you worked your tail off for your company and you're still in the same job you had 10 years ago and had 3% pay raise. You're going, what is going on? Those things are not equal. Those things are not fair. But there's one thing. One thing that the ground levels. 1,440. 1,440. 1,440 minutes a day. No matter if you're the richest guy in town or the poorest guy in town. No no matter if your marriage is perfect or difficult. No matter if you love your job or hate your job. No matter what your life is right about, every one of us have 1,440 minutes. And Paul says, use them carefully. Redeeming the time. Making the most of the time that you have here. Because these days are difficult. That's harder than you think. Let me tell you. Here's here's what this week, coming off vacation, looks like. Two weeks ago, right before I went on vacation to Moody, Greg Elam walks in and says, Hey, the Baptist men are having the thing at Dorsville, and um, we need a message. I said, love to. Love to. So tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, I'm going to be here and we're going to preach. May preach part of this message. May. Well, then I get an email from Keith Bunfield. He's the chairman of the Selene Baptist Association Missions Committee. And he said, what about having a meeting on Thursday night? Wrote back and said, I'm in. And then then it hit me. Well, we know what Sundays are like, morning and night. And then Monday night, we're going to preach. And Tuesday night, we're going to do visitation. And Wednesday night, we're going to do church. And Thursday night, we're going to have a committee meeting. Do you see how four really good things filled my calendar up? That's what you've got to be careful of in life. I wouldn't change any of those. But I may need to pace myself somewhere else so my family doesn't suffer or so I don't suffer. That's redeeming the time. Even though your life may be filled with really, really, really good things, be careful. Mind your calendar. You may have to say no. You may have to say, I, I, not this time. You have to do it next time. That's what Paul says. Because let me tell you something. I've said this over and over again. I will tell you. I was an incredible pastor the first, oh, 10 or 12 years. I mean, if you had a split hair, I wouldn't pray with you. If you had a hung toenail, I came to your house at 2 o'clock in the morning and prayed for your toenail. But in the process of being an incredible, incredible pastor who would pray for anybody, any time of the day, craziest things you ever saw, my kids grew up. And thankfully I had a wife who had the time. Because I didn't. If I had one thing I'd change, Brent, it would be that. Oh, praying for, praying for tonsils and toenails are a great thing. But not at the expense of your children. So whether it's, whether it's the church or whether it's your job or whatever it is, your hobbies, make sure you've got those priorities right. Redeem those times. 
because the days are evil. And then he goes on and says this. Is that really right? I've got all day to preach. How incredible. Not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise. Do not do it your way. Do not do it like God doesn't exist. Because, again, there's someone smarter than you who can help you with the really difficult decisions in life. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Where's Rock and Robin? Rock and Robin. Tweet, tweet, tweet. Rock and Robin. What a great song you sang today. God has a better plan. How incredible, how intuitive is that? Understand what the way or the will of the Lord is. Now, here's what's cool. You need to write this down if you're taking notes. In the Greek, the word understand means to put together, to piece together. It simply means this. It means understanding through God's word and through prayer and through wise counsel, discerning what the will of God as it pieces together. Your life together. Now, now this is, there's two things that you need to know about this. How many of you ever put a puzzle together? Yeah. Are you good at it? I never was. I never was. In fact, I was certain a couple of times. As I was putting that puzzle together, the little ones, you know, the one like, like a thousand pieces. I was convinced that if I pressed hard enough, or if I beat it long enough, it would Fit. Been there? And you know what? It won't. It won't. Come on, guys. This is this is this is still hard. It's so hard for us. Men, come on. We open the box, right? I mean, I will guarantee you, if I opened one of these games at home and said, Gee, let's play these games, and I didn't know the rules, I would try to figure it out. I would figure out somehow without reading the, the directions. How many things have you put together in your life? Without reading the directions, you stood back and went, that just doesn't look right. I mean, come on. It's a table and it leans like this. It's a bookcase. And when you move it like this, the whole thing sways. See, it's hard for us. We fear if we can press hard enough, if we can slam it hard enough, we can make it work. And that's how we do God's will. God... I've done used this before. Excuse me for repetition, because I did it before. God, I really want the car. And God, if you want me to have the car, would you let the financing come through? That's a bad prayer. It's a little better now, but five years ago, six years ago, if you were breathing, you got the loan. If you were brief, I knew a guy, I knew a guy who had the worst credit rating in the world. And some foolish company gave him a loan. I said, you're kidding me. Just because circumstances fall into place doesn't mean it's the will of the Lord. God, what do you want? God, help me to see. Don't force the issue. Let me to see. Understanding what the will of the Lord is. And then he goes on this. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, where is dissipation. What is that? Well, first off, this. I've read several commentaries on this. And most, most people, and certainly most believers, understand 
it's not a good thing to get drunk. I mean, it's just not a good thing to get drunk. Okay? So, unlikely that, that Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, was saying, Now, guys, y'all not to get drunk because they already figured that out. More than likely, it's this. In, in these, Ephesus was one of the most carnal, pagan cities there was. And part of their worship was they felt like they had to get drunk with alcohol in order to commune and worship God. So they would go to the temple and get stone drunk, hoping to be able to commune with their God. And Paul's making this, Paul's making this analogy. He says, don't, don't act like the pagans do when you go out there and you get drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. Dissipation means to this, to waste. It's like, it's like being on the beach and holding your hand like this and trying to hold sand. It goes right through your fingers. So Paul's saying, this thing about worshiping drunk or even just being drunk, it's wasteful. It's crazy. Don't do that. But then he says this, but be filled with the Spirit. Now that's mystical. I know if you're here today and you're, you're kind of figuring God out anyway, you're going, what's this being filled with the Spirit? It's a great analogy. Paul was so intelligent spiritually. He says, in the same way that alcohol controls the body, and it determines decisions, it determines how they talk, it takes control of the body. In the same way alcohol takes control of the body, let God take control. In other words, run all your decisions through the lens of God. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. In other words, hey God, you're smarter than me, okay? Then would you let me know what to do? Now, don't want to get too technical with you spiritually, but we believe that every person who knows Jesus Christ as Savior has got the Holy Spirit. We don't believe in a second blessing. Uh, the Scriptures teach this, by the way. We don't believe in a second blessing. We don't believe you have speaking tongues to prove you've got the Spirit. That when you're saved, you get the Holy Spirit. When you've trusted Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit. So you've got this incredible force living within you who really, really wants to help you make decisions. Now, again... I'm in the living room. And I'm not a big TV watcher. But, but I'm a pretty much a single tasker. Okay, people always say, did you see all those people get up and go to the bathroom while you're preaching? Thankfully, no, because when I'm preaching, that's all I can think about. Okay, so, so I'm in the living room, and I've got the remote control, and I find something interesting, I'm watching. And Judy comes in and says something like, and I'm just... That's what it sounds like. You know why? I'm focused. I'm focused. And finally she says, Dwayne! Huh? Yeah. Did you hear me? Uh, no. Okay. I want to talk with you. Are you listening? Read my lips. And so she speaks with me and I hear her. That's how, unfortunately, with the Holy Spirit, we get so busy in life, we're going 900 different directions, and the Holy Spirit's going, hey, you need to be doing this, and we're not, that, that, that. we don't hear him. Sometimes we've got to get still and hear the voice of God. He's talking. We're just not listening. Sometimes, you know, Jim Dunn told me something today. That something his son Steve preached last week. How that, how that, what is missing from the cross? It's a simple truth. Jesus! He's not there. He didn't stay nailed to a cross, rotting for three days as was the custom then. He was taken out and buried for the express purpose of getting up again. Jesus is missing. A great truth that we can easily overlook. And God wants to talk to us, but sometimes we've got to get quiet. 
so he can speak and we can hear. Be filled. Run everything through the filter of, hey, God, what do you say? And again, sometimes it's the word of God. Sometimes it's a sermon. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's in our prayer. But God wants to let us know. Be filled with the Spirit. And then, here's the result of that. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. Oh, that's so powerful. That's so cool. And spiritual songs. Speaking to one another. You know, I almost asked. Anyone here had DUI? Wrong, bad question. Don't raise your hand. But you, we all know people who have had DUIs. And what's DUI stand for? Driving under the influence. Bad deal. Do not DUI. But I want to encourage you to LUI. Live under the influence. Don't DUI. That's Paul's first illustration there. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't DUI. But learn to LUI. Live under the influence. When you do that, it impacts your relationships. Look what it says. Let me read it again. Verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When God is calling the shots, when we surrender to Him and say, Okay, God, I'm listening and He's directing, it changes our relationships. We go from to being kinder, more gentle. And by the way, it's a, it's a constant battle. It's a constant battle. But, but, but when we're spirit-filled, we treat people differently. I mean, do you see the, the sweetness there? Speaking to one another. Not to God. Speaking to one another in psalms. Oh, the psalms are beautiful. In hymns, yes. And spiritual songs. Wow. How, how different... Boy, Judy, you know how well your Sunday school lesson goes. We we talked on climate change in Sunday school about relationships. How different would your marriage be? If you walked, guys, guys, husbands, how different would your marriage be? We'll get the ladies first. If when you walked into the house, you knew that your wife was going to have a psalm or a hymn or spiritual song. Now I'm not talking about, Lord, hills are alive. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a melody. You walked in, you just knew you were going to be embraced with, Hi, hun, how was your day? Would that change your marriage? Hey, hey, ladies, how would it change your marriage if when the bear came home, it wasn't, What's for supper? And you knew it was going to be, Hi, honey, I've missed you today. How, how are you and the kids? How was your day today? Can we talk? <laughs> That'll never happen. That'll be the day when she says goodbye. That ain't going to happen. That's not going to happen. But wouldn't that be a game changer? Kids, students, what would it be like if you knew when you asked your mom and dad something, it wasn't going to be, err. It, it may not get you what you want. It may not be the answer you want. But you knew it was going to be you know, a civil conversation. It changes your relationships. When, when we start seeing through the lens of God... It changes relationships. It impacts or changes our worship. Look, second part. I'm going to read all verse 19 to keep it together. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to who? To the Lord. Lord. When you're listening to God, your heart changes. Which is, by the way, why your relationships change. All of a sudden, you gather here in this room, and it's not... 
A song, song, or a song, uh, announcements, welcome, song, song, offering, song, special music, hurry and preach, preacher, the Methodists are going to beat us. It's not that. All of a sudden, you, even, even if it's not the kind of song you like, you know, today we sang several hymns. You like, yeah, I like the hymns. Or maybe you don't like the hymns. You go, I wish we were doing you know, courses. That doesn't matter. You know why? Because there's songs in your heart. It becomes not about the style of worship or the place of worship even, but about your heart to God. When we start viewing through that lens, that's what happens. Things that used to matter don't matter. It's just about Him. And watch this. It impacts our attitude. Look at verse number 20. Giving thanks always for all things to the God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, instead of being envious, you know, Ben's got it and I don't have it. You know, that's not fair. Joe's got it and I don't. You know, he got a car and I didn't. Instead of being envious, you learn to say, thank you, God. No, my life's not perfect. And no, it's not easy. Thank you, God. When, when we start seeing life through God's filter, it happens. We become more grateful. You know, when, when Steve goes to Haiti, I mean, Haiti still remains in my brain one of the hardest places in the world. And one thing we've heard over and over again from people who have been to Haiti, and frankly, to West Africa, and frankly, to Nicaragua, wherever you pick, where we've gone, you come back with what? A grateful heart. Can I have an amen? You you go there and you go, God, thank you for what I have. He changes it. And every one of us, most of us, let me say that, need to be more grateful. And lastly, when we're we're looking through the lens of God, it impacts impacts our worldview. And I I don't want want to mess with this too much because I want to use it next week. Verse 21. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. And I think the New King James says, out of reverence for the Lord. Deferring. You first. You know, we were, we were at a store yesterday. And um, I opened the door. Or, I'm sorry. I walked up the door and a gentleman opened the door and said, go ahead. He deferred to me. He deferred to me. In fact, then I tried to return the favor at the second door because you have two doors. He said, no, no, that's okay. Go ahead. How cool. How different would your world be if you deferred and were deferred to? How different would it be? See what a game changer it is? And it all starts with going all the way at the beginning. You know, what's your worldview? Who owns you and what do you worship? Who owns you and what do you worship? You know, if, if, if you come down to this, one more time, let me read it to you. The game of life is just what name implies. A board game that takes players through the many state life stages of working and having a family. The game itself has a long list of rules, but they can be easy to grasp. The ultimate objective is to retire from the game as the player with the most money in both cash and in other achievements depicted on life tiles. That's one view. And that's the, by the way, that's the default view. That, that's the default. That's the Broadway. Remember Jesus said, you know, go down the narrow road because the Broadway leads to hell, to death. The broad view is... Get as much as you can and have the most toys. That's the fault. But we know from, come on, we know from Hollywood, does that usually end up in happiness? No, it doesn't. I'm, ask the folks that got on their ninth marriage. It doesn't work. If you're working in the world of sports, 
Doesn't seem to. Money doesn't bring happiness. Things don't bring lasting happiness. That's the worldview, though. God has a better way. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Mankind, he has told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you. To act, to, to act justly, to treat others justly, to love faithfulness, to remain faithful, and to walk humbly with your God. So, so what's the bottom line? Who owns you today? Now, because we have a habit of confusing, I will make it clear. I said in the beginning, if you're here today, and we have several guests. Uh, thank you so much. Some have been here before and have come back. Some I met today for the very first time. Thank you so much for coming. But maybe you're here today, and, and certainly there's people here every week that have never made that commitment to Jesus Christ. And you'd like to go under new ownership today. I'm telling you, for me it happened 37, 38 years ago, 1975, do the math. And I had religion. Religion owned me. I was a good rule keeper, at least publicly. But rules don't save you. There's no giant scale out there that says, if I get enough good or go to church enough or give enough, that God's going to go zing, zing, zing. It's not there. It's all about what happened there. God's amazing grace was demonstrated when Jesus died for the sins of people, people like you and me, all of us. And, and it's hard to imagine, but God's wrath, because the wages of sin was death, God's wrath was poured out on his own son. He died on our behalf. And like I say, history supports it. There is not a tomb with the bones of Jesus in it. And the reason why is he's not there. He is alive today. We don't worship a dead Jew. We worship a living Savior. It's the truth. It's the truth. It really is. So, if you've never experienced that in your life, my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And we'd like to tell you more about that. Not force it down your throat. Not twist your arm. Just try to answer any questions that you might have. I'll be back in the back door. I would love to talk with you there if that's more comfortable for you. But we would love for you to come and know Jesus Christ as Savior. Many of us have done that and discovered the liberty and the freedom. So, who owns you? Who do you worship? And then second this. What lens? If you are a Christ follower today, what lens do you look through? Do we, do we look at the world's lens that says... That whatever it takes to gain the most, okay, and obtain the most, and die with the most, is success. Or do we look at God to, to, to love justly, to, to love faithfulness, to walk humbly with God, to, to not be drunk with wine, but to be filled, to allow God to filter all our decisions? Which one do you choose there? How are you living today? How are you living today? Here's a, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If somehow you can look at your life, you know, and go, Dwayne, I'm sorry, dude. My, mine's okay. Okay, that's cool. I understand. But if you're sitting here today going, you know, this makes sense. Because I've tried this and this and this and this. And all I've got is debt and unhappiness, broken relationships, broken families, you know, bad stuff. Why not give God a try? As a believer, why not change your worldview? Why not get still and say, okay, God. My pastor said, you talk to me. Talk to me. What do you say about my marriage? What do you say about my parenting? What do you say about my job? What do you say about how people see me? How I do business? And it may not like instant you know, change, but you may find an incredible thing happening. All of a sudden you're going to think twice and go, wait, 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 wait a minute. I would have done that, but this seems right. And you know what that is? That's God speaking 
You hearing and obeying. Now, we call these steps the altar. And Brent will be down if you want to talk to him. But maybe you're here today as a believer in Jesus Christ. You just want to come and say, okay, God, I'm surrendering. I'm surrendering. I really want to view life through you. And Brent will be here if you're here about Jesus Christ. He's willing to help you. We have some friends here today, some counselors, some encouragers. We'll be glad to help you here today to discover the love and power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the high privilege of sharing today these wonderful truths from your word. God, thank you that you did have a better plan. I so appreciate Robin and Rick's song. Thank you, God, for that. Father, I pray for my friend here today. And they're getting through life the best they can. But you really have something better for them. You really want them to have a life that's far more they anticipated or expected. And that comes through Jesus Christ. Give them the courage as you draw them to respond and say yes. For, for those of us who know Jesus Christ, for those of us who have made that commitment, Father, we know the tendency to take control. We know the tendency and the pull of Psalm 14. That we know you and we believe you, but we choose to try to do it our way. And so often we just mess it up. And you're inviting us today to allow you to change that in our lives. To choose to get still and to hear as you speak. Directing us, as Proverbs 3 says, in the path we ought to go. You're such an incredible God. I'm so glad you're real. I'm so glad you're alive. That we don't have to like work up emotions. We just really know that you're real. Thank you for that. Holy Spirit, we talked about you today. Would you please speak to hearts? In Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.